0: Well, the Lord be with you, which is also shorthand for have a seat and let's get started. Uh, I'll try and finish a little early if you have questions. Uh, Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. we Um, We still have a couple of notebooks left. Does anybody wasn't here last week didn't get a notebook? Um, uh, I can't, I I couldn't write a book on time, so uh, we'll be passing out uh, lesson notes uh, week by week, so did anybody not get this week's lessons, Aya, here you go, oh, you got that one, did anybody else need this week's lessons, um, so we got one notebook left, that seems to be enough, um. Well, one thing I didn't mention is that there is wisdom scattered all throughout the Bible, including in Psalms. There are wisdom Psalms. Psalm 90, I don't know if it's technically called a wisdom Psalm, but it has a. Uh, a some of the verses in that are keyed to wisdom. Uh, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Last week, well, I say I finished with, I didn't finish. Uh, with a, a more developed synopsis. So I'm going to do that really quickly. Today's lesson is a little shorter, so I think I'll still finish on time, maybe even a little early. So we're going to be looking at four books, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs and in that order. And so we'll get to Song of Songs last and finish up with that in Advent, which will be appropriate. Um, Because even though it's about sexuality and uh, romance, uh, it also has a theological message. Anyway, the book of Proverbs uh, teaches what Old Testament scholar, British Old Testament, Derek Kidner described as a life well-managed. Proverbs presents much practical wisdom, but the successful life is first and foremost the godly life, which relies on the Lord and does not stray from the path of righteousness. While Proverbs itself, the book, admits of some exceptions, the righteous don't always prosper, Uh, honest effort can fail, sometimes the wicked seem to get away with things, it sticks to the message that all things being equal, the wise life is the better life, as far as this earth is concerned. And I mentioned last week that wisdom can be defined as knowledge, understanding, and practice— that lead to shalom. Shalom is usually translated peace, sometimes prosperity. It's both and more. It is shorthand, and I would say it's, it's what life in the kingdom of God is going to be like and what life on earth should be like, the way things ought to be. Well, the book of Job, though, uh, when, when things aren't equal, there are limits to wisdom. Because not only are we finite, we live in a fallen world. Uh, So there are limits to the wisdom we can gain and apply in this life. In particular situations and with real individuals, adhering to a pat formula of why bad things happen and suffering abounds is not only wise but can be cruel, and we will see that in Job. Despite our limitations and perplexities, God remains sovereign and faithful. And we'll see that um, after we look at Job. We'll be looking at Proverbs for the next several weeks. Ecclesiastes, the world is never enough. I know that was the name. Well, the world is not enough. It was the name of a James Bond movie. I'm not sure why. (laughs) The plot didn't seem to fit the title. Uh, Ecclesiastes teaches us that life under the sun, that is, under the aspect of temporality, the life in which we are born, we live, and we die, and without reference to any transcendent reality, that would be God. But the whole idea that beside this earthly reality, there is another reality. It's not just an idea, it's a fact. Anyway, under the aspect of temp- temporality and, un- and without reference to transcendent reality, uh, it, you can never have lasting fulfillment or meaning. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 intimates, God has set longing for eternity in our hearts, but we can never gain it through fame, fortune, achievement, power, pleasure, or work. Which is one of the few things, uh, I'm not a universalist, but that's one of the few things m- most religions teach. I don't know, it's that maybe Scientology, and that's not really a religion. Um, but nobody ever believes it, which is surprising. We'll talk about that when we get to it. The Song of Psalms is exactly what it seems to be. It is a song of true romance. It's a love song or a collection of love songs, which are about exactly what they seem to be about, delight, excitement, and joy of a romantic, sensual, and intimate relationship between a man and a woman. It is not an allegory um, of any sort, but does have theological implications. And we'll explore those uh, in the fall. So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next year, 2022. Whatever 2020 brings, the Lord willing, we'll study this. And for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the book of Proverbs, um, which Solomon did write many of. so most of the book of Proverbs has been traditionally attributed to King Solomon. For good reason his name is attached to it in in a couple of places. And we do mean the King Solomon, the son of David. And there is no serious reason to doubt this attribution. That sums up a great deal of scholarly debate, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, th- those parts of Proverbs, oops, those parts of Proverbs that are attributed to Solomon are, in fact, from Solomon. But there's also no reason to doubt that Proverbs is a compilation. Um, Solomon did not write the finished version of the book of Proverbs. He wrote most of the Proverbs in it. But there are two other authors uh, that are named, Agar and Lemuel, who we don't know anything about. Lemuel's listed as a king, But back then, a king could be anything from a leader of an empire to the leader of a small-walled village. was called a king. Uh, And we don't know when those guys wrote that. Um, Men of Hezekiah collected some of Solomon's Solomon's Proverbs. uh, And those are the dates for Hezekiah, so it was sometime at that point. And then there was a final editor, which we also don't really know a lot about, but chances are he wrote the prologue uh, and the epilogue. Some people attribute the, uh, the final uh, epilogue, the Song of the Noble Wife, actually to Lemuel. Um, I may mention a few things about why that doesn't make sense. A lot of this doesn't matter, so if you're really interested in a lot of scholarly back and forth, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I believe in a a canonical approach. That is, we take the Bible as we have received it, and we accept it as uh, inspired by the Lord and carrying the authority of the Word of the Lord. Um, Anyway. I skipped over a lot of stuff, but that's okay. I meant to do that. Um, So anyway, so the book is a set of collections whose final structure has been arranged by a final editor. Uh, And we should – we can and we should presuppose that he was as equally inspired as the people who wrote the Proverbs and the other uh, literary forms in the book of Proverbs – Um, But as I said, what finally matters is that it has come down to us in this form, and we accept it and understand it and apply it that way. Um, This is a brief outline. Um, Most people who interpret Proverbs agree on this. They don't agree on all the sub-bullet points. So there's a prologue, 1, 1 through 7. We'll actually look at that next week. And there's a set of exhortations from a father to his son that introduce him on various topics, particularly on an issue you want to talk to all young men about, uh, women and sexuality. Uh, Then there's the first collection of Solomon's Proverbs. It's mentioned as such, the collections of the saying of the wise, which were probably collected by Solomon. Proverbs of Solomon collected by Hezekiah, the words of Agur, the words of Lemuel, and the wife of noble character. Now, we don't have the time, I think there's four more lessons in Proverbs after this week, whatever it says there, to do a verse-by-verse or paragraph-by-paragraph study. So we're primarily going to be doing a thematic and topical study, and those are, as it says in the table of contents in the book. Uh, there is one further note on inspiration that I originally planned to pass over, but I'll give it a brief mention. Uh, I, again, I don't think it really has bearing on how we finally understand and apply Proverbs, but you may have heard it and wondered about it, and that is the question of the parallels between Proverbs and similar ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature, which there are parallels, some remarkably close, but um, Uh, There are similarities in many passages in Proverbs, especially in the sayings of the wise, which are Proverbs that Solomon collected, Um, and ancient Mesopotamian and Egyptian wisdom writings, particularly the Egyptian ones. So the bottom line, again, I'm passing over a great deal of scholarly debate, as they say. Uh, The bottom line is that neither Israelite wisdom nor the book of Proverbs are simply dependent on Mesopotamian or Egyptian literature, what, whatever you might have heard. The best explanation for why there are parallels is the obvious one. Solomon was literally an international scholar. He both studied uh, other nations' wisdom, and he was studied by other nations, influenced traveling both ways. As we read in First Kings chapter 4, Starting with verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Okay, you got to keep in mind that this was probably written by Solomon's press secretary. So it's going to be a little uh, effusive, but it's still true. Uh, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, at least when this was written. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And most famously the Queen of Sheba came. Uh, And a lot of What supposedly went on between Solomon and the Queen of Sheba is also primarily legend. So I'll leave it at that. From general revelation and common grace, which are two things I do believe are true, the wise men of the East and from Egypt made astute observations. Um, I've gained uh, insight and wisdom from many non-Christians. They came to conclusions about human behavior and the way of the world, and many of these are accurate. But a key element is always missing, the fear of the Lord. The gods may be mentioned or they may not be mentioned, but what isn't part of the wisdom of the East and and Egypt is a personal relationship with the one true God, the covenant God of Israel. Uh, The gods, if they are even mentioned, are considered aloof and frequently capricious, so they don't have a lot to do with wisdom. There are exceptions to that, but in general, that's true. Solomon, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, was able to select and modify the wisdom he found in the world and conform it to God's speculation, uh, to God's special revelation, since all truth is God's truth, as both Calvin and Augustine affirmed. So... If you accept the uh, usefulness of both those guys, then, well, that should settle it. Um, the book of Proverbs contains several different literary forms. We talked about those last week, um, and if you missed last week, you could look at the notes, including extended instructional discourses like chapters 1 through 9, uh, exhortations, parable-like stories, um, I would include in that the wife of noble character, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. Personal reflections and, of course, Proverbs has a lot of proverbs in it or sayings. So a proverb is a short, artfully constructed saying or slogan that encapsulates a generally accepted truth. Proverbs are common to every tribe and nation in every time and period. I mean, there's lots of them. So I ask... My wife, okay, tell me a proverb, first thing that comes to your mind. I actually forget what she said, something about don't put off, was it don't put off today what you can, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Um, There are many proverbs. Uh, Look before you leap, versus he who hesitates is lost. Um, And then this one. So you get this proverb. If you immediately sew up a garment with a small tear or a seam with a few loose threads, it will require much less time and effort than if you wait until things have gotten much worse before you mend it. This also applies to any work or project in which a little effort right away will save much time and effort than putting it off till later. Well, that's generally true and commonly accepted. What it isn't is short or artfully constructed. So would anybody like to tell me what the short, artfully constructed version of that? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, as a matter of fact, that's actually a recent proverb. I researched that. Uh, If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, Supposedly comes from uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, director of budget management, Bert Lance, in the mid-70s. If not him directly, then it emerged from the south, which makes perfect sense uh, um, at at about that time. But there are lots of proverbs like this that you can think of, but let's not spend too much time thinking of them. Um, I actually was going to admit, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, There are also more cynical ones, which... It'll tell something about me, I guess, that I know many of these. Life is tough, then you die. Uh, Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And there are corollaries to that. That's called Murphy's Law. I like the one, nature always favors the hidden flaw. Um, Anyway, so Proverbs are a very common thing uh, in every culture in every time. Okay. On the other hand, in the biblical Proverbs, there's basically two kinds. Um, Some biblical Proverbs are short and pithy, like the one we just saw, and some are a little longer, but they all follow uh, the, the characteristics of Hebrew poetry, which we talked about last week. So related to the content itself, there are two kinds. Observational Proverbs provide insight into human life and behaviors without emphasizing morality. This is a very interpretive principle because there are occasional Proverbs where you say, what? Why would they say that? Like like this one in Proverbs seventeen eight, 8. A, a bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. Well, that described most of politics, didn't it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um. This is not encouraging us to give or accept bribes. It is stating a fact that we all know is true now. That's why I picked this one because it's still true. Well, it's always been true. And there are lots of Proverbs where if you weren't aware of the fact that if you thought they were giving uh, advice or making moral judgments, you would question it. But they're not. It's important to understand, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. It's important to understand the way the fallen world works. On the other hand, there are didactic proverbs that make clear moral distinctions between wise, righteous, and foolish, wicked behaviors. Most of them are didactic. So Proverbs 7.23, not much later than a bribe is a charm, is a wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. And we all know that's exactly what bribes are often used for, to gain favor in such a way that circumvents the right way to do things. So Proverbs provide essential guidance for navigating life wisely. But, and this is really important, so... You could highlight it. They are neither inviolable promises nor magical words that, if memorized and applied in a mechanical way, automatically lead to success and happiness. So, what's the verse about raising your children that we all know? And then what will happen? And when he's old, he will not depart from them. That is not an inviolable promise. It is an observation of what usually happens, or how do we say it, in, in common English parlance. The apple, the apple don't fall far from the tree. It, it means the same thing. Now, that we know from experience has its exceptions. I, my first teaching assignment, I taught industrial arts for six years. Uh, in middle school. That was entertaining, teaching adolescents and pre-adolescents how to use tools and machines that could kill and maim them. Um, But anyway, so discipline was, this is a large middle school, over a thousand kids, and of course discipline was an issue, and when you you found out the child's parents, don't take this wrong if you're a parent, uh, I am one, Uh, you usually find out what was wrong with the kid. Um, But not always. Um, I occasionally had conferences or heard about conferences with parents who were involved, uh, clearly cared about their child, were cooperative with the teachers, were trying to do the best, and a kid was just uh, intransigent at that time. These were middle schoolers, no one should ever be held responsible for what they did in middle school. <laughs> anyway um, anyway. Uh, the right understanding and application of proverbs of a proverb are contextual, requiring discernment of the relevant time, place, and person. And we're going to find out when we get to job uh, not really a spoiler alert, but jobs, the problem of Job's friends is that they don't get this. They apply proverbs and wisdom in a mechanical, me- mechanistic way, and they do not apply it correctly to the relevant time, place, and person. As uh, I, th- I did indicate, 1523, a wise man find- finds joy in an apt reply. You know, not, you know, any old reply. And how good is a timely word. Um, and even in the New Testament, uh, speak the truth in love. Uh, sometimes you can say something that's honest but hurtful. So a few Proverbs, and you may have noticed this if you've read Proverbs, seem to contradict other Proverbs. Uh, A prominent example of Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. That happens in English Proverbs too, like uh, a stitch in time saves nine is met with stop and smell the roses. Like, no, come on, you know, give up your sewing for a while. Look before you leap. Anybody, what's the contrary to that? He who hesitates is lost. Um, This is a prominent biblical example. Now we know that the people who wrote Proverbs weren't fools. So the fact that these are set right next to each other uh, means that they missed a contradiction. Obviously they did not. So do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise And his own eyes. Encountering such examples reminds us that the meaning and application of a proverb depends on the life situation in which we find ourselves. Sometimes answering a fool in the manner of a fool just makes you look like a fool. This happens a lot on Twitter. Um, (laughs) I mean a lot. Some on Facebook too. Um, it's one of the reasons why well I haven't given up Twitter but I don't spend a whole lot of time with it. Um, sometimes though the delusional thinking of fools need to be met with facts and clear objective thinking else they will think that their defective view of reality <coughs> excuse me is in fact the way things are and what everybody should believe um, sometimes this doesn't work Uh, because, as the proverb goes, you can't fix stupid. Uh, This needs to be done, though, and it is being done, with regard to what I'll call the transgender delusion. Uh, Carl Truman, you may have heard, wrote an excellent book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And you read on the first page that he wrote this book to answer the question, why the statement, I am trapped in a man's body, has come to be regarded as coherent and meaningful when, in fact, it is delusional and nonsensical. And I bring that up because it's such a thing that's constantly in the news and I think is almost like a canary in the coal mine type of example of how desperately delusional sometimes uh, the culture can be. Of course, not everybody believes the transcender delusion but it's gotten its way into the government and it needs to be responded to because it is foolishness that needs to be met with facts and reasonable thinking and Carl Truman delves very deeply into that. He goes back to the enlightenment and the romantic era which is the right place to start to explain that. At first glance, the Proverbs in chapters 10 through 29 in particular appear to have been collected and recorded randomly. Um, if you haven't read the book of Proverbs, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and read, try and read the whole thing while we're going through it. Um, like I say, we can't do a verse by verse. And then you'll get the points, particularly starting with verse 10, going for the next 19, 20 chapters, where it's like... They pulled these out of a hat and pasted them into a book. Um, It's not quite like that, first of all. Amidst this disorder, there is order and purpose, though. First, yes, I'm on the right slide. First, the varying topics are presented to us in the same way we might encounter them in the flow and flux of real life. Um, I thought that, (coughs) excuse me, after the first time I read it, well after the first few times i've read the book of proverbs and there are there are a few scholars who actually find that to be the case and this is what happens uh in modern society we want things systematized and we have seminars about various pro- you know projects we have and and endeavors we we have we have parenting conferences we have financial conferences haven't had heard of one on avoiding adultery. There are marriage conferences and we, we want to get it all together and get it all at once. But, but that's not usually how life happens. You know, you will run across something wise and important about sexuality and then the next day or even later that day about finances, about relationships with your neighbor and that's how it happens. Uh, second, the arrangement of the Proverbs teaches that while reality and truth are not irrational, neither are they fully subject to human attempts at systemization. Now, that really hurt me um, because my, my area, as I've mentioned, is not biblical studies. So why am I doing this? Because I'm a generalist. It's systematic theology. So we know a, a, a little about everything and a lot about nothing. No, that's not how it goes. And uh, Dwayne Garrett, who teaches at, uh, I would actually recommend his commentary. His commentary is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. He didn't do Job for the New American Commentary. These are brief, but they're well written. Uh, Dr. Garrett is an Old Testament scholar um, and a very astute one. Uh, And uh, I would recommend his commentary. It's on the source list if you want to look at that. So he says, and I agree, that uh, life just isn't fully subject to human attempts at systemization, which again is another one of the flaws that uh, Job's friends uh, partake in when they don't understand this in trying to apply their understanding to Job's situation. Third... There are many individual Proverbs that are grouped around a common word or idea into many collections, many small collections that provide context and expanded meaning. And again, if you've read Proverbs through, then you're probably aware of this. For example, in Proverbs 15, 31 through 33, the sayings are grouped around the idea of humble teachability. So he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. And there are there are lots of many collections like that scattered throughout chapters ten through twenty nine. Finally, oops, finally, we should remember that Proverbs uh, was produced by and for a primarily oral culture. They didn't have, well, the the only textbook was literally going to be the scrolls of the Word of God, and they were read and memorized, and memorization was a key learning method. It still is, by the way. Proverbs was originally meant to be memorized and recited in its entirety. So uh, it's important that you do that if you want to pass this class. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't done it. I've, I've read it several times, but I've never memorized it. Uh, but it's not a bad idea. Uh, so we'll look at themes and theology in Proverbs. Proverbs. The foundational theme of Proverbs we have previously looked at in the worldview of wisdom literature. This is the theological axiom that there is one God who is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the sole sovereign creator of the world and humanity. That isn't on this slide, but it is on a previous slide. So the book of Proverbs presupposes and emphasizes That the world is an orderly creation. And again, to to reiterate, it's, it's not we who are in charge of creation and can impose on it the order we desire. It comes with its own order. The material and moral order are established by Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another prominent theme is the sharp distinction within this order between the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness, which always makes me think of the Led Zeppelin song. Uh, the first lines of Stairway to Heaven, they're, well, not the first lines. There are two paths you can go by. But then again, they say in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. There is, but sometimes it's too late. God rewards those who, through diligence and the fear of the Lord, seek to live wisely within the divinely established order of reality. This is how Proverbs sees things. And he punishes those who disregard the Lord and live foolishly. This, too, is not a mechanistic thing. It's not karma. Um, and, And again, it can't not be applied as though it were systematic like, say, gravity. But don't get me started on how quantum mechanics and even string theory make the question of the order of the physical universe itself somewhat questionable too. But there is a moral order, there is right and wrong, and God applies this as he sees fit. Problems can arise when this doctrine of recompense, the good are rewarded, the wicked are punished, is misunderstood and misapplied. Now, I believe it is true that no one ever gets away with anything. But all of life is just a short vestibule anyway. This is just a small entryway to eternity. And so we need to take a long-term look at things. Um, What you do in this lifetime may or may not be rewarded or recompensed in this lifetime. But it will be rewarded or recompensed and by reward I don't necessarily always mean anything good. So Proverbs deals with this idea that it cannot be applied mechanistically or karmically. Uh, at, at the seams and the margins of the books you'll find it in places, you'll find the admission that the, the rich can get that way through wickedness, uh, the poor can get that way through oppression, and It becomes, that becomes one of the major themes of the book of Job. Suffering is not always because you have necessarily done something wrong. Anyway. The book of Proverbs is not primarily concerned with corporate or personal salvation. Um, It isn't the gospel. It It is more like the law. But it really isn't the pronouncement of the law that brings you to your knees. It's more how the law is really teaching you the inherent order of the universe, and you need to align your life accordingly. This is wisdom. Wisdom tells its followers how to live in the world. Nevertheless, submission to the Lord is at the very center. Because God is at the very center of existence. He is the heart of existence. So not to fear the Lord is to not even begin to be wise. We see this both through the insistence that wisdom cannot come apart from the fear of the Lord and also through the dependence of many Proverbs on the moral commandments of the law. Yes, I'll go ahead and, and say if you want to take the time To look those up, but honor your father and your mother, Um, do not have any other gods before me, Uh, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, don't commit adultery. A lot of the Proverbs uh, have a bearing on these commandments, the moral commandments. The book of Proverbs provides guidance for when life is generally going right, the way it's supposed to be. It is aimed at both the immature as well as the wise, and it is to enable them to gain more wisdom and avoid the pitfalls of the the worldview and life practices of the foolish and immoral of any era. There's also a warning to the fool, whether they heed it or not, that the path they are on leads to destruction. Uh, No one ever gets away with anything. Um, Finally, I'll deal with the recognition that the book was written by and for a patriarchal society, which is true. But this is in itself is not as controversial as many think. First of all, there never is there never has been, nor there is not now, an actual ambiguously matriarchal society in which women exclusively hold reins of power. Um, most well actually, all societies in history have been patriarchal um, that 's a debate about what that means and what we should do about it, but right now I'm just saying that's a fact. However, since Proverbs is addressed to sons repeatedly, I think it is appropriate and legitimate to consider how specific guidance might apply to our daughters. Um, I, I have a daughter, so. I like to think, I can't think of a specific instance that I applied what I knew about Proverbs to her life situations too. And that makes perfectly good sense. For example, chapters 5 and 7 contain lengthy warnings to a young man to avoid the adulteress. Uh, this, of course, in the content can be expanded to, to concerns about sexuality in general. And certainly we should also do well to teach our daughters the wisdom of, ado- of avoiding adulterers. Uh, and, and how to behave in an oversexualized sexualized society. Um, but it's also interesting that the patriarchal Israelites personified wisdom as a woman, the lady wisdom of chapter 8. And when they sought a character to exemplify many of the essential traits of wisdom and righteousness to conclude the book of Proverbs, they wrote the vignette of the wife of noble character. They didn't pick a man. And we'll look at those two exemplary women in later lessons. Now, in another context, some people might call those two inclusions somewhat subversive. But it's not really subversive. It's the recognition within the book of Proverbs, which, yes, is written by and for a patriarchal society, that women, too, are equal to men, not equivalent, but equal, and that we are both created in the image of God. So next week, we'll look at the first nine chapters uh, and the call of wisdom, particularly as coming from the father to the son, which we can, I think, legitimately send from to the mothers to the daughters and the fathers to the daughters, and the call of lady wisdom, the personification of wisdom. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I guess, I guess that means it's time to go. Uh, anyway, thank you all for coming. I hope you come back next week. Um, if you uh, want more, not of the same, but of something different, than, uh, and, and, you're, and you're a patriarchal male, you may <laughs> come to the men's Bible study at, at uh, the Nicholson residence uh, this, this evening at 7 o'clock. Anyway, thank you very much.